All of us are devoted followers of something or someone. That's what we spent these last four weeks talking through in this series called Devoted. And we looked back at the first followers of Jesus, and we uh, tried to evaluate, are we living the way that they were taught and how to live, regardless you know, of what generation, what society? In fact, in Acts 2.42, you know, we, we read, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, next week, I want to give you a heads up, we're starting in a new series, because the apostles' teaching is the teachings of Jesus. And uh, Jesus' greatest sermon that he gave was called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7 that you can read along in your Bibles. And so we're going to spend, starting next week to the end of the year, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through that amazing sermon that he gave, answering this question, the, I mean, answering this, 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 this thought, the why behind the what. So we're going to understand what Jesus says. What we want to try to walk away with is why. Why did Jesus say these things? Why is that important for us to be able to apply? So we're going to be able to look at this very practical series kicking off next week. I want to make sure you invite your friends. So all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so we have looked these last few weeks about the importance of sharing our faith. Are we sharing our faith? And then a couple weeks ago, we looked at the importance of relationships, fellowship, koinonia. What does that look like? Last week, we looked at the importance of um, sharing or serving when it comes to time, talents, and treasures. Now, this week, I believe, is the core devotion. And we're going to unlock some things, but I want to give you a little warning because it's happened in two services already. This is going to be a challenging message. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not, sit back and enjoy the squirming of the people around you. <laughs> but I'm going to guarantee that all of us are going to be challenged in one way, shape, or form. And what I'm going to ask you to do is not to try to put up a barrier of justification, but actually to be open to receiving what God may have for you. Now again, that Dan's words pass away, but just ask God, how do you want to speak to me today? Because here's the core question that we have been trying to wrestle through that sums up this whole series. Are you a devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Now, the Bible has a word for that, and the word is a disciple. A disciple. It's not a common word that we use in our day and age, but it's all throughout Scripture. That's what Jesus told us in Matthew 28. He said, all authority has been given to me, so I am now giving it to you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. But be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Question is, what is a disciple? If Jesus says that's who we're supposed to be, and that's who we're to help, help make, what is a disciple? And if I were to ask you that question, so many of you would give great answers, but it would be different answers. Some of you would say, it's God's word, it's the prayer, it's service, it's God's glory, it's, and all those things would be right, but we want to be aligned here at Valley Real Life, and we believe that Jesus made it really clear a simple but concise definition of a disciple. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these fishermen, and he yells out to them, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. See, in the invitation is Jesus' definition for a disciple. For what we would say here at Valley Real Life, according to what Jesus says there, is a disciple is one who follows Jesus, who's changed by Jesus. Jesus does the work, the heart work inside of us. We can't do it all. It's not about all about works. There is a part we play. 
and we are on mission for Jesus. Our lives are for his purposes and for his glory. So one way to know you are a disciple is to examine uh, what the Bible would call fruit. Now, fruit is uh, what we say and what we do. For example, Matthew 7, 20 says, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Or in Luke 6, 45, it says, what you say flows from what is in your heart. So out of the consistent overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the consistent attitudes, actions, and behaviors, you can say that is someone who is whatever it is that they are. In this case, a disciple of Jesus. Now, on the positive side, Galatians chapter 5 tells us, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all areas that we should be growing in as disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to make sure you understand this. You can be a disciple of Jesus, you can be a follower of Jesus, and you can still make mistakes. You will make mistakes. There will be times in which you will say something that will not reflect you as a follower of Jesus. There will be some times that you will do some things that will not reflect yourself as a follower of Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're not a follower of Jesus, and it doesn't mean that you're a hypocrite. Okay? Rant coming. So you need to kind of get this out for just a second. I am so frustrated with our culture and the condemnation, the judgment, and the labeling that takes place when someone missays something out of their mouth, especially when they missaid it dozens or centuries ago, and they're still not only being held to what they said, but now they're labeled that in which they said for the rest of their life. They're being ostracized and condemned for that. For example, if someone were to say a racist thing, that is not good, but it doesn't necessarily mean they are a racist. A racist is someone who consistently, out of the overflow of their mouth and their actions, they're identified by their fruit. That would be a racist person. Have you ever had a bad day? Have you ever had a day where you were off at work? Does that mean you're a bad employee? No, you had a bad day. If you've ever been driving and you cut someone off, you get in a fender bender. Does that mean you're a bad driver? No, in that moment, you had a bad driving moment. Unless you do it all the time, then yes, you are a bad driver. That's consistency, that's speech, and that's fruit. But on a regular basis, if you're a parent, have you ever had a bad day? Have you been in Walmart when your two-year-old is flailing themselves on the ground and you say, I'm not going to be a parent anymore. I'm going to reflect the attitudes and actions of my two-year-old. And so you have a two-year-old moment with your two-year-old in what you say and even what you're doing. And other parents around are looking with such judgment and condemnation. Are you a bad parent? No, you had a bad parenting moment. See, here's what we know about our God. Isn't it great that God does not condemn us or label us because of one moment or one incident based on what we said or did. David, King David, is called a man after God's own heart, and yet he did these things that were apprehensible, and they have consequence to the things in which we say and do for sure. But let us remember that we serve a God, and as we serve a God, that we should love one another and not label and condemn people because of a one-time offense or a one-time action and put them aside because God doesn't do that with us. Okay, rant over. Mm. All right. 
cut that out. Okay, so how can, how can I grow even though I'm going to make mistakes? How can I grow even though out of my words, out of my actions, how do I grow on my discipleship journey with Jesus and others? What's fascinating about the Bible is that there are similar ways to the way in which we grow spiritually because I think we understand maturity in Christ different than what the Bible says. I think based on our church upbringing and understanding, we think we understand what biblical maturity looks like, and I believe that God is going to give us a different paradigm for some of us in this room. And it's very similar to the way in which we grow physically. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you a couple times I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbor, and here's the first one. I want you to give characteristics. How do you identify a physical infant? What are things that they do or say that lets you know, wow, that is an infant. Now think age zero to age two. Second thing, I know it's going to be hard. I'm going to give you two questions at the same time. How do you identify a child? How do you identify a child? Think about three to age 12. What are things that they do, say, characteristics that let you know that is a child? Okay? May seem obvious, not necessarily. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor, infant and child. Okay? I'm going to give you a couple minutes on this. Okay, we want to hear some of this. Let's start with the infant. So what are characteristics? How do you know that that is an infant? Crying. Crying. Diapers. Helpless. Helpless. Can't talk. What? Tiny. Tiny. That's perfect. (laughs) They're tiny. They're little. Right? How else? Infant. What's that? Lack of hair. (laughs) Actually, have you seen uh, Jordan and Trevor's baby? Uh, that baby came out with a full set of hair. It was amazing. Uh, there's so many things. Okay, you should think about an infant cries, poops a lot, two-year-old makes a ton of messes, ton of mistakes. You know, you can begin to identify. Once you know, hey, that's an infant, you don't expect an infant to act like a 10-year-old. Okay, right? You expect an infant to be an infant, but not just to stay there. You actually want them to grow. Now, what does an infant need to grow and mature? Well, an infant needs milk. You know, constant and consistent care, love, shelter. You know, the infants are 100% solely depend, dependent upon a parent or someone else to keep them alive. Okay, they cannot do this themselves. Uh, uh, someone, you know, that can come alongside even up to a two-year-old to be able to like, here, I'm here for you. They're going to make mistakes. They may whine. Then we become children. So how do you know three to age, age three to 12, and I know it's kind of a broad, you know, spectrum. How can you identify what are characteristics of a child? Okay, what's that? Pushing boundaries. That's good. Have opinions. So many questions. They want to be independent. Hungry all the time. 
<laughs> especially in those 10 to 12, 13, yeah. What else? Selfish. Okay, so they see primarily the world through their eyes, right? How does this affect me? Hard for them to see beyond how does this affect the family or other people. They're seeing it through their own eyes, right? Anything else? They play a lot of video games, right? They absolutely do play a lot of video games. And so you see also on the positive side, how much do they grow like crazy in this stage? I mean, it's amazing. Think about a first grader to a fifth grader. And, and, the, and the changes, and you look at some of the pictures, like, I can't believe, but also the learning growth from what they're able to read and learn and do versus when they're a fifth grader, what they're able to read, learn, and do. It's just amazing. It's astounding how much they can, they can take in, the languages that they can learn when they're young compared to those who are older. So it's great. Now, what does a child need to grow and mature? They need food, right? They can't grow without food. They need attention. They need love. They need care. They need teaching on how to appropriately interact, right? And again, you don't expect a child to act like an adult, although you're hoping that they grow and learn from some of the mistakes that they've made. So if you have a biter, a kid who bites other kids, if they're 30 years old, they go to jail, okay? <laughs> but if they're six, this is something that you teach them and you're hoping, okay, you don't do that. You know, I know you're frustrated, but this is an appropriate way to respond. Okay, now let's go to the next two. So I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbor again and answer this. I'm going to ask you for a young adult and a parent. Okay, young adult. So what are characteristics of a young adult? How do you know that this is a young adult? And again, I'm going to give you a broad range. Think about 13, 14, about 25. Okay, so young adult. Lots of stuff happens in there. Now, secondly, how do you know a parent? How do you know a parent? What are the characteristics? You know, what are the signs? What are the ways that you know? So go ahead and turn to your neighbor and uh, talk about it. We're going to give you a few minutes and come back up. Young adult and parent. Okay, let's, uh, let's get some of these answers. Uh, what are characteristics of a young adult? Know it all. No, they now know it all. It's all about them? Okay, no foresight and consequences. Uh, I, I, can, I, I can do whatever I want. I'm not going to get hurt, you know, so there's a risk factor, yep. Acne. Acne. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> all the young adults in the room are like, yep. Okay, seeking validation from peers, right? The peer influence, you know, begins to grow, you know, uh, outside the home more and more and more. Independent. Independent. Entitlement. Okay, now there are some positive characteristics, people. <laughs> What's that? Energetic. Okay, uh, now young adults are full of passion. 
excitement, you know, for life. They can conquer the world. They can change the world, and they believe they can do it. It's amazing to be around, you know, young adults. Uh, you already mentioned uh, daredevils, you know. Um, they, they know how to feed themselves now more than ever. Some of them have part-time jobs, you know. Uh, they're able to, to work a little bit, you know, outside the home. Now, what does a young adult need to grow and mature in life? Again, you would hope that a young adult matures. Well, they're going to make mistakes. So who's there to help pick them up when they fall and when they fail? So do you have somebody along? They need guidance, encouragement, opportunities to be involved in things so they can see how they're wired, how they're gifted. They still need older adults in their lives as parents, as counselors, as teachers, as bosses to help them navigate this next important stage of the journey. Then we have parents, right? What are characteristics of parents? They're tired. That's always the number one answer. They're sleep deprived. They're tired. They're exhausted. What's that? Poor. They're poor. <laughs> yeah. They're unfair. <laughs> okay, they're going to be more selfless. Wise. Patient. What's that? They're proud. Yeah, they're going to be very proud of the, of the situation, circumstances, their career. You know, uh, well, one of the things, obviously, they may have a career. Uh, um, and one of the things that you didn't mention, that you have to be in order to be a parent. You have to have a child. <laughs> that is the defining characteristic between an adult or young adult, and fur babies don't count. We're talking about children, okay? So what does a parent need to grow and mature? They need sleep right? They need rest. They need a break. They need mutual encouragement from other parents or grandparents in their lives to help them navigate the things that they've never experienced before as parents, especially first-time parents. Now, everything I just went through, and there's so many more, has so, sim so many similarities to spiritual growth. The difference is, and the hard part is, you have to take age out of the equation. Okay, if you take age out of the equation, the Bible actually is going to walk us through the different stages of spiritual growth. And here's where the challenging part's going to come in. I'm going to ask you to do some self-reflection. Where are you, according to God's word, spiritually in your maturity to become a disciple? Again, we're looking at consistency. All of us have childlike, you know, or infancy behaviors, but where are you? And it's okay to be where you're at. But you can't grow from there if you think you're somewhere else and you're not, okay? So here's where some of the challenge comes in. So let's jump in. First is a spiritual infant, okay? A spiritual infant, people in this stage have accepted Christ as Savior. Most likely, as evidence or fruit of that acceptance, they've been baptized and they're super excited about this new hope and this purpose in life. It's like that first dating experience, that, that a, a, a spiritual high. In fact, this is an incredible place to be, which is why we have the cross to celebrate that. We want to celebrate when people come to faith and evidence of that when they get baptized in him. And we want to go crazy because we've just seen a credible transformation that's taken place as the heavens rejoice, so we want to rejoice as well. Now, this guy named Nicodemus, who is a religious leader who knows a lot about the Old Testament, a lot about the Bible, the Torah, and he's a religious leader and he comes to Jesus at night. So we call him Nick at night. So if you ever wonder where that came from. Boom, pastor joke. All right, I'll be here all day. <laughs> so because G he's a Pharisee, he comes to Jesus at night, and I I'm going to thin slice this, thin slice this, because I don't have so much time. In John 3, Jesus replies to him, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Nicodemus was thinking physically. Jesus was describing spiritually. What Jesus is saying is you cannot go to heaven unless you receive him. And the process of receiving him is to open our hearts to him. And evidence of that is when we receive his spirit inside of us and then we're baptized into his name. Now, this stage is awesome. It's wonderful. It's glorious. It's like when you have a newborn child. It's amazing. But this stage also comes with a warning. The warning from God's word is, don't get stuck here. See, if you get stuck in the infancy stage, just like physically, you're supposed to mature. You're supposed to grow. But the difference in physically versus spiritually is we can get stuck, and it's usually up to us. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 reminds us, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. And so it's a warning that we've got to continue to go. And, and, and I know that people get stuck here. And the people who get stuck here are the ones who accepted Christ at some point, And they just kind of left it there. They might attend church once or twice a year based on tradition, not based on love. And there's no real evidence, fruit consistently in what is said or what is lived out, even though they might check the box on a survey and say that they are a Christian. And so people get stuck there over years. Now, understand this again. This is awesome to be fully aware that this might be where you're at. And that's great. We want to celebrate that. Just don't stay right there. Like, I'll give you an example that uh, took place. There was a guy who got baptized. And here's one of the identifications or markers. You knew that they were a spiritual infant. They got baptized. And he was so excited about his new faith. He'd never accepted Christ before. He jumps out of the baptistry. He, he goes like this with his fist. And he goes, F yeah. <laughs> to which everybody was horrified in the church, and they could not believe. People actually got up and left because they were so offended by what this person said. Now, would you really do that to an infant? No, that's just where they're at. You work with people where they're at, and you grow from there. Spiritual growth doesn't happen in an instant any more than physical growth takes place. I led a group of new believers, a class one time, and it was awesome. But the things that came out of their mouths, you'd be like, if you've been a Christian for all, like, oh my gosh, can they say that? Well, that's what they're saying. Should they stay there? No, but they're new. And so they need somebody to walk with them, to guide them, to care for them in this relationship, this newfound relationship with Jesus. And so we constantly hear things coming out of their mouth that shouldn't be said. There was a guy living with his girlfriend at the time where he said, well, it's not right, but we're going to help you understand that as you go through. And, and so we're walking people through this whole experience. One of my favorite quotes that ever came my whole life was a gal. Honestly, she looked at me, she said, Pastor, you know one of my favorite things about our services? I said, what's that? She says, I love the karaoke time at the beginning. <laughs> Some of you guys are going to realize it. She goes, all you need is a little bouncing ball during that thing you called worship. Because the only thing she could equate worship to was what she'd experienced in some of the places that she went to. So it just came out naturally. Karaoke, that's what we do. I'm like, that's not bad. I'm going to use that. <laughs> now, here's a way you can maybe identify if this is where you're at. Listen to your prayers. Listen to your prayers. See, prayers at this stage might be, God, if you're out there, can you just help me out today? I got a test. I got this thing going on. I don't know where else to turn, God. Now, what does it mean to follow you? God, this prayer thing is weird. 
I don't even know how to do this because I'm talking to somebody who's not even here. This is so uncomfortable. I can't see you, so I don't know what to say. See, what does a spiritual infant need to grow and mature spiritually? The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. See, crave spiritual things. Begin to crave God's word and prayer and being amongst other people. Spiritual infants need other people in their lives continually or else they will die. They won't make it. They can't feed themselves. They don't know what these Bible chapters and books and what does this all mean? And they'll open up to Genesis and start reading. They'll get to Leviticus and they'll be like, I'm done. They don't know because they think a book's supposed to be read normally. So you have to walk through and help them on this journey, which leads us to a spiritual child. You might find yourself here. People in this stage are growing in their relationship with God and growing in their relationship with other Christians. They're applying God's word in their lives and allowing others to walk beside them on their journey to follow Christ. But primarily, they see their spiritual journey through the eyes of how it benefits them. And that's fine. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, And now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, so that was the infancy stage, you must continue to follow him. Don't give up. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. See, a spiritual child starts to learn how to feed themselves sometimes. They, they have these things called quiet times where they open up God's word and they begin to reflect. They, they attend services fairly regularly. They're hungry for God's word. They might even be in groups. They begin to pray and understand what prayer is on their own. They recognize the difference between right and wrong and they'll be able to grow through that. And such tremendous growth happens at the child stage. It's fascinating. It's phenomenal. Hebrews 5 13 tells us solid food is for the mature, who through training of the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And so a child begins to understand this is right and this is wrong. And it's not a bad season. In fact, Jesus says, let the children come to me, for we must become like a little child in order to enter the kingdom of God. So being childlike has great advantages. And Jesus actually proclaims them that there's aspects of being like children that we want to hold on to, but we're not supposed to stay there. In fact, I want you to self-reflect on your prayers. It's usually the best indication of where you're at spiritually. Prayers at this stage might be, God, thank you for my spouse, my kids, my job, my church, my group. God, help me in my friendship and in my home group. God, keep my kids safe. Thank you for this food that you've provided. Most of the prayers at this stage are directly related to how things affect you. And it's not bad. It's great to pray for those things, but you're not supposed to stay there because there's a warning at this stage. Just like with an infant, you can't stay here. And yet, in my experience, many church people get stuck here. And it's not based on age. It's based on Christian maturity. See, as you view things, I'll give you an example. When you come into church, are you solely viewing church through the lens of how it's going to affect you today? Did I get my coffee? Did they take care of my kids? Was I greeted? Was the service good? Did I like what was took place? And did I have a good parking spot? And so we have all those things, right? Especially on a day of snow. And we're thinking through that mindset. And there's nothing wrong for a season be there. But it will hold you back from being mature. See, children, if you stay in this stage too long, all of a sudden you'll start coming to church and you'll start saying phrases like this. 
that church isn't deep enough. I'm not getting fed like I used to. I must need to go to a different church where they can feed me, where they can meet my needs, where I can get things that I need taken care of. All that says is as you bounce from church to church is you might find yourself in a childlike state. Now, the point is, once again, not to feel pastor slapped today, okay? But I'm just here to help you out, but to slowly grow beyond this point. And so, what does a spiritual child need to grow and mature? If this is you, continue to commit attending to church regularly. See, a child says, I got something better going on this week. You start moving, say, no, 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 I'm going to make this a priority. Get into smaller groups. Commit to having other people examine your life and you examine theirs. And you're going to need people to offer support, love, and encouragement. Do you have anybody in your life to gently challenge you to grow to the next stage? You know that children physically, they don't want to grow at a certain point. And as a parent, your job is to kind of nudge them beyond what's comfortable in order for them to experience some things that may be more challenging or scary for them, but it's really good because that's where they're going to grow. Which leads us then to a spiritual young adult. Spiritual young adults or people are still growing in the relationship with Jesus, but now their lives are becoming more and more other-centered centered instead of self-centered. So they begin to think of other people, the influence of other people around them. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says this, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. So what are some of these characteristics of a spiritual young adult? For, uh, James 1, tells us, but don't just listen to God's word. You must actually do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. See, a child goes in and says, how can I learn, 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 learn? A young adult begins to say, how can I begin to put these things into practice in my life? See the transition? They, they come to church, a young adult will come to church, not just because, okay, looking for their needs to be met, but all of a sudden they have eyes for other people. And they begin to start thinking, oh, how can I encourage that person? Or how can I reach out to that person? Or, or man, I'm so appreciative of, of these people and maybe I should start serving and being involved because that really is an interest of mine. And I have great passion for the things of God. In other words, Jesus is also becoming more of an everyday part of their lives. Instead of a church is a place I go to, it's a people group I belong to. And so I take it out with me into my real life. So I bring Jesus into my workplace and into my homes and, and into my hobbies. And I'm like, okay, Jesus isn't in compartmentalized as a young adult. I begin to experience him in different areas of our lives. Prayers at this stage might look something like this. Lord, help me to serve you today. God, let me see opportunities to be used by you in the lives of others. God, I'm still struggling with some specific areas of my life, and I trust you're going to help me with them. God, help me to be a better father or dad so that my kids can know you better. See the difference in the prayer? See the difference that they're beginning to take shape in maturity as you begin to grow? And again, it's nothing's wrong with praying for some of the other things about the kids and the day and all that kind of stuff or safety or whatever it may be. But now all of a sudden your prayers begin to change. So what does a spiritual young adult need to grow and mature? They need grace. They need love. They, they still need others who are equal or more spiritual than them to guide them in their real lives outside these walls. They need opportunities to lead because as young adults, you're going to get excited about something and God's going to put it in your heart and you're going to go on the mission field and you're going to take a mission trip and you come back and be like, oh my gosh, I just want to change the world for Jesus. And you need somebody to guide you because you're going to make mistakes. I know when I fail and make mistakes, I need other people, other mature believers to help pick me up as well on this journey of faith.
What, what tremendous growth takes place at that stage. Then there's a spiritual parent. I wonder if you've identified where you're at yet. People in this stage live their lives in connection to Jesus and to the discipleship of others. They have a solid understanding of God's word and a deep abiding relationship with Jesus and with others. 2 Timothy 2, 2 says this, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to other people. These people are mature in their faith. So when they come in life, they're willing to, not only have I learned, but now my greatest growth opportunities is now I'm teaching others. And teaching others isn't just passing along knowledge and information, but it's passing along knowledge and information that leads to application, which will lead to transformation. Remember, you cannot be a spiritual parent unless you have a spiritual child. See, here's one of the biggest confusions in our culture. We might think we are spiritually mature based on our knowledge, based on our service, based on our sacrifice, based on our giving. But Jesus says spiritual maturity is when you pass on that which you have received. In other words, you have a spiritual child that you begin to pour into. So this continues. Uh, Spiritual parents also understand that when trials and tribulations and hard things come, they don't just bail. They understand there might be good in and through this this trial or circumstance. So they can read James 1 and verse 2, say, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So I know we try to avoid painful circumstances in our lives, but do we see that painful circumstances can actually grow us? Spiritual parents understand that. 2 Timothy 1, 1 and 2 says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I've been sent out to tell others about the life he's promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. Timothy wasn't his son. He was a spiritual son in him. So what are characteristics of spiritual parents? They sacrifice greatly their time their talents and treasures, because they realize, I don't own any of this. This is God's. Allow me to be used by you. Prayers at this stage might be, God, all I have is yours. God, today, direct the finances that you have entrusted me to be used for your benefit. God, who can I pour myself into for your sake? God, if you ask me, the answer is yes. God, this is painful and hard, and I don't get it, but I choose to trust you. God, they're not my kids. They're not mine, but yours, that you were asking me to steward. Help me to do that well, and may their lives be given to the service of you. See the difference in the way we begin to pray? When you become more and more mature in him. What do they need? They need rest, right? Just like regular parents. They need time away to be filled up by Christ. They need spiritual partnership and discipleship opportunities. They need grace. Parents make mistakes too. They need help on this journey of faith and encouragement. So I wonder if you found where you might be primarily at. Again, all of us have characteristics and traits, but we're most modeled by the fruit of what comes out of our mouths and by our actions. This is not to bring condemnation. This is not to bring judgment. This is to bring a challenge that I told you was coming today to help you see where can I grow in my discipleship process and the discipleship process of others. Let me give you one last stage, you know, as there is something to look forward to. A spiritual grandparent throwing this one in. It's the people that you've discipled are now released to disciple others and a multiplication movement for Jesus is happening through your life. Your life has been lived in such a way that you have now mentored and discipled others who are now raised up 
And they're now mentoring and discipling and helping other people. And those people are mentoring and discipling and helping other people. It's a multiplication movement, just like a grandparent sits back and watches and gets to see the fruit of their labor. Matthew 13, 23 says, The seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and understand God's word and produces a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. So as we wrap up today, where are you? It's okay. But I do know this. Sometimes people have been in church for 40 years, and they've never grown beyond the attendance of church when it comes to their spiritual depth and maturity. My hope is for you is that you would be presented today and you'd honestly reflect, where am I? Prayers is one of the easiest ways to identify spiritually where you're at. Look back and begin to wonder. Now understand this, all of us, even if you think you're a spiritual parent or you are a spiritual parent, you're going to have infant moments. Okay? You're going to have moments where you blow it and make it. We're just talking about realistically, consistently, words and actions. Secondly, this is not to be used as a labeling device. Okay? That's exactly the opposite. I don't want you to walk around saying, hey, you big baby, I told you, grow up. Okay? I don't want to give you parents any more ammunition you know, that you already have. The idea is to look within and to say, God, here I am. Help me to grow to the next stage. God, I know that I am 13, I'm 40, I'm 65, but I'm still here. Help me to grow to here. You never arrive. Maturity should continue all the way until the day in which you and I meet Jesus face to face. The Bible is a fancy theological term for that. It's called sanctification. We continue to grow, we continue to mature. And my hope is that through this series and as we wrap up today, that this presents at least an option, conversation, a starting point for where to go from here. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. And I pray, Father, that as we've talked through this devoted series, that we would be committed to this growth experience. And Father, I know that there's wrestling going on in our hearts and minds. Sometimes it can come with some justification or the whatabouts. And I just pray that you would just allow us to be real before you right now. Hear the prayers of those in this room. And help us to journey this life together, encouraging, loving, with joy, coming alongside one another with you at the center in word and deed. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.